You're listening to The New Paris. I'm your host, Lindsay Tremuda. This episode is the first in what I hope to be a recurring and monthly series picking apart one news story impacting France. And each time, I'll be joined by my two friends, Lauren Collins and Aida Alami. Lauren is a reporter for The New Yorker and the author of When in French, Love in a Second Language. And Aida is a journalist for The New York Times and The New York Review of Books, among other outlets, and also a documentary filmmaker. Both women have been previous guests on this show and are friends near and dear. The idea emerged out of our WhatsApp group. We're constantly sharing our thoughts on what's happening in the world, sometimes exclusively in emojis. But I thought that when it comes to Paris and issues influencing life and politics in France, we could go a bit deeper. So what's happening right now? After separatism, communitarisme, questioning whether COVID is masculine or feminine, it's feminine, apparently, there's another obsession taking over the discussion in France, and that is tenue républicaine, or what is or isn't clothing fit for the republic? What is the correct form of dress when you're a young woman living and navigating life in France? It's all up for discussion on today's episode. Ladies, welcome. How are you doing? We're doing all right. I'm doing better than Ida, I think, who just said she stayed up watching the vice presidential debate all night. Ida, what are you doing to yourself? I'm pretty tired, but I'll try to be smart for you two. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so what we're talking about today is, you know, more controlling women's bodies, or at least that's what I'm 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 seeing here as as the real undercurrent of of this issue. What do you what do you make of it? And and either of you can start, but whoever wants to jump in. Ida, you go first. I think in France we 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 keep on seeing these same uh, controversies around women's bodies, and I, I I honestly now just see them as distractions from everything else that's going on. Like mm. I can't believe that during the economic crisis the country is going through, you know, the pandemic and everything, they, they find so much airtime for these things. And I personally blame the media too a little bit for focusing so much on these things. Like I'm not sure if you looked at what the French people care about that's on top of their list right now. Right. But you would almost assume that given the amount of time it gets in the media and on radio and, you know, in the in the ministry, because, you know, this is the minister of education who also came out with the the rebuke of, uh, you know, needing needing people need to and not people, but women need to uh, respect a tenue républicaine. Um, so you would almost you'd almost think that this is actually of grave concern because for them it it, it has a a broader symbolism. Lauren, what, what do you what do you make of all of this? I think what I mean, just to just to break down what happened. So the idea was that girls were being turned away from school uh, for wearing outfits that their teachers or administrators deemed too revealing. Um, and so uh, this I think what happened is actually the girls kind of spontaneously organized um, a protest. You know, they had mm-hmm. a hashtag. They said uh, Monday, September fourteenth. Like, let's all go to school wearing whatever we want. You know, dare to wear your crop top. Dare to you know put on as much makeup as you want. Um, something I loved. I mean, I was just looking through some of the TikToks and some of the social media posts that they were doing. Um, you know, and it wasn't just for girls. I mean, they also said like girl, boy, non-binary, like everybody, let's get behind this and just, you know, make a stand for our freedom to dress ourselves as we want to. So that happened. It was 
I think a pretty successful kind of grassroots protest. And um, as the media was discussing it, I, I believe it was after it happened, but maybe I'm wrong. But the Minister of Education basically said, I think there's a lack of common sense here. And if people would just go to school dressed normally, yeah, in their tenue républicaine, um, everything would be fine. That was kind of hilarious because what do you think when you think, I mean, I saw a meme that was like, what is that? And it was a meme with like the Delacroix picture of Liberty leading the people with um, Liberty, who most people interpret to be Marianne, of course, with her just heaving cleavage in yeah. bonnet and like, do you show up to school in that? But, um, <laughs> anyway, I mean, that made me laugh. What I think, okay, so what I want to say is I think policing women's bodies is not a French um, it's not, it is a French problem. It is not a particularly French problem. Where I think the debate takes on bizarre and kind of exceptional dimensions in France is that not only do women get criticized um, as they do everywhere around the world for wearing things that are seen to be too revealing, they also get flack for wearing things that are too obscuring or not revealing right. enough, right? Right. So not only are you like, there's a part of people saying, okay, they told me not to wear my mini skirt to school. And then the next month it'll be like, there, there was literally a case in 2016 where a girl was turned away from school for wearing a skirt that was too long. Right. Um, because it was seen as being a symbol of religious, you know, extremism. So or proselytizing. Right. So I think women in France are kind of getting squeezed from both ends. And that that to me is like where this debate becomes so oppressive um, in France. At the at the at the source, I guess the the argument that I have a lot of trouble with is the one that's framed in the male gaze. Right. So we're telling these girls um, even if they are teens. Um, but obviously, the argument extends to as you know, when they get older is that these rules exist not sort of in respect to the Republic, but because we have to be careful of not distracting boys and enticing them. So when is that argument going to stop? When are we going to put the onus on, you know, education and parenting boys so that we understand, you know, so that, so that it shifts uh, the responsibility off of girls to have to somehow censor themselves or control what they're wearing? I think, you know, I think it's, it's, it's complicated for me. I don't know how you feel about this, but it's complicated for me to compare uh, the way they've targeted Muslim women over the years with what's happened with this tenue républicaine controversy. Um, because with Muslim women, I see it as a very, I mean, it's like, to me, it's like this, I mean, it's hard to use certain words in France, so I'm going to be careful with the words I use. But I just want to say it's just like this racist tradition of targeting Muslims uh, that's been ongoing for decades now. Um, I, I see it as a different uh, problem as the issue of wanting girls to dress a certain way to go to school. I don't I don't know how you two feel about that, but that's, that's been my... Um, my view on this from the beginning i feel like this is uh once in a you know in a moment kind of controversy it's going to kind of go away on its own and it's a bit different from the yeah i mean I think, that's, I think that's a good point I, I think that's what i was trying to get at by saying on one end of the spectrum you have something that happens to women all over the world not that it's a good thing but it is not particular to france um, or it's it's not particularly absolutely um, 
absolutely. vicious. You know, it, it it is a universal um, way to police women's bodies to say that, you know, they're wearing clothes that are too revealing and it's going to distract men and boys. But the political dimension of the other end of the policing spectrum, which is you can't cover something, um, is, yeah, is, is a very um, French, it, it's, yeah, it's a repetitive polemic that is, I think you're completely right to say it's racist. I agree with you. Um, it's it's instr- instrumentalized for political ends. I mean, it's also a complete misunderstanding of, you know, laïcité, which is constantly invoked in the defense of, of targeting women like this. It was interesting. I read something that the kind of, um, I think he's from the Obser- Observatory of Laïcité was pointing out. But laïcité is the neutrality of the public space not neutrality within it. So another incident like that we could talk about was when um, Miriam, what is her name? I know you've interviewed her. Um, Miriam uh, Pouchetou. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, went, I think, to testify before some committee in the Assemblée Nationale, was that it? And um, a representative from, um, from LREM Macron's party got up and walked out in this very kind of um, theatrical, you know, orchestrated way and said that she couldn't, as, as a feminist, um, she couldn't tolerate, um, you know, the, this kind of um, submission in a public space. Um, so first of all, you know, there is no law or statute that inhibits um, or forbids a, a woman from wearing a hijab in that public space. But secondly, I mean, it's a real distortion Um of of laïcité, and I think we saw the same thing. Um, you know, as we said, I mean, these incidents are just—they're rhythmic, they're habitual, and it is a way um, for politicians to um, signal things about immigration. Um, is usually what it's used as a substitute for. People don't, you know, politicians um, don't want to talk about immigration because they know that often um, the racism of what they're saying is more direct. So instead they, they start talking about um, hijab under, under the guise of a sort of 1960s um, French feminism. But anyway, I, I also just wanted to bring up the incident where the minister of education Blanquer said that he found it pas um, So not desirable for mothers um to accompany their children on school field trips wearing hijab. Now, that was like a law proposition that never, never passed. But that's another example of talking about inclusion, but really, um, you know, establishing exclusion through this kind of false debate about hijab. Well, and also, Aida, I mean, you know, because you've interviewed Maryam, the woman, the the young student we were talking about who, um, you know, was was basically humiliated by that minister from République en Marche, uh, you know, saying that she would she would leave the room because there was a woman in the in her presence who's wearing the hijab, and for her that is a symbol of oppression. Um, but this is I just interject just to establish for listeners, like they weren't having a debate about no. 
hijab. They were having a debate about something else entirely. Um, and this woman with, you know, every right and the law of force behind her showed up in hijab and an elected official walked out of the room. Right. But, but after giving, you know, a, a, a written speech about why she finds it so offensive to her brand of feminism, which, as we know, is a universalist version of feminism, which does not include. So, you know, so she was this 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 woman, Miriam, was humiliated for a second time. And Aida, um, you know, you you reported on her uh, for The New York Times in 2000. What this was 2018, right? When she yep, was. Yep. And, and when she was humiliated because or called out because she was interviewed on television and she was the president of a student union, right? Right. I mean, people so, at the highest levels of government targeted her on national TV. Uh, she was 19 so, years old at the time. And she's um, and, and they're basically saying she can't she can't, uh, you know, what have have a role uh, in a student organization because she's wearing the headscarf. I, I mean, the whole argument at the time was how the president of a union that's uh, that leftist and progressive um, is wearing a hijab. And I mean, uh, it was it was such a ridiculous um, overreaction, considering she was elected. It's not like she took power into the right. union. And, and people who voted for her felt that she represented their beliefs. And their values and, and all of that. And to go back to the point I made earlier is when I, I profiled Mariam and I spent a lot of time with her and her peers uh, at school, it was very clear that none of them were concerned by uh, the hijab controversy. The, the reason she went on TV in the first place was to protest uh, education reforms. And they were really frustrated that the media wasn't talking about the reforms they were protesting about. And they kept on fixating on this one teenager uh, that gave, you know, this like so many problems to so many politicians and commentators and things like that. And just story repeats itself. And, and the reality is that there is this desire to erase hijabi women from the, I mean, from the media landscape from like, they don't want to see them. And, and from I the, the that policy, I mean, uh, like, yeah. it's such a familiar tactic. When you said that, Ida, it reminded me also of, um, I was just reading this article that Rukaya Diallo wrote about this young woman who just like, during the pandemic, started posting videos of how you could feed your family on 60 euros a week, just kind of. An oh, her. Yes. Of, yeah. Of yeah. Um, generosity. I mean, videos about cooking. And so this other woman, a, a um, journalist, named Judith Weintraub, who I believe writes for uh, Le Figaro, um, posted one of her videos with the comment September 11th. Oh, my God. It's it's so yeah. heinous. It's so heinous. I mean, imagine being a woman wearing the headscarf in France today. Uh, apparently, you have less than a 1% chance to get a job when you apply for one. Uh, it's just... It's just a very heinous atmosphere for for women and wearing a hijab and right. and 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 the and the lack of representation is a problem. Uh, it's the reason the media cover the these topics so badly, except for a few outlets or a few journalists actually. Uh, well, it's like what? Just, um, yeah. Do you know? Do you know Hanan Karimi? Are you familiar with yes, her I work? Do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I don't. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so she's a she's a she's a feminist um, who 
you know, like Sarah Zwack, who's, uh, who's uh, one of the women I profiled in my book, she, you know, they basically believe that you can be both feminist and Muslim, which sadly, most of the French society are saying that they can't. So they're constantly fighting against this idea that the two ideas are incompatible. Um, but she was saying that, you know, it's, it's being, you know, this, it's like these women are being rejected from society outright. And, um, you know, what she said was, you know, as soon as you, you tell a woman how to appear in the public space, and that they should conform to this discipline, um, or else be excluded, then they're creating this sort of like, good or moral femininity. And uh, a Republican femininity is one that is secular, of course. um, But obviously is by definition opposed to any sort of femininity within a religious context. So, you know, she feels like that means that only a certain category of woman is really allowed uh, to freely walk through and navigate life. And that's someone who, at least on the outside, um, expresses traditional codes or Western codes of femininity. Um, And so this is forever going to be an issue, clearly, until you know, the, the, the powers that be in the, in, in the government and also in the media stop sort of making this into an issue and, and refusing to accept that, you know, the, that, that Muslims are a part of the French society and that it's not somehow a niche group. You know, this is, this is also what, you know, is it just forever astounding is the refusal to accept that, you know, this is part of how society is changing. Um, but anyway, Aida, I just wanted to to remark or make that remark about, about her because it sounds like, you know, if you're a woman who believes that you can be both feminist and and Muslim, you're like fighting an extra battle. Well, oh, I mean, absolutely. the thing, like a perfect illustration of this and, a, and an evidence of who is really being targeted here is, for instance, like Macron's big speech on separatism that he gave last week. So in the lead up, this was pitched as a speech on separatisms, plural, with mm. it was supposed to be, um, you know, a rousing defense of Republican universalism, saying that all these different groups that were kind of like separating themselves from French society with on an identitarian basis um, should stop doing that. Now, the big day rolls around. And what is the speech about? Separatism. Um, right. Singular. And there was a big semantic debate about this, in fact. And it became separatism, which became Islamism. And that was what the speech was really about. It wasn't about anything else. Um, the tr- you know, the, the hardcore Catholic right that was supposed to be initially part of this, you know, dragnet somehow mysteriously fell off. Um, we didn't hear much about that. But the thing that's so funny is, I mean, when you think about people being turned away from school, you know, a student in a long skirt, which seems really arbitrary and subjective to me, you know, you can wear a long skirt if that's like, if it's a long, I don't know, skirt from whoever Gucci is putting out long skirts these days. I don't know. But you can't wear <laughs> it if, it, if you can't wear it, if it looks like, <laughs> if it's like a kind of, drab long skirt that somebody thinks um, is religious. But I mean, also just thinking about like in 2016, I attended the the Francois Fillon rally. I was there reporting at at the Trocadero and it was full of the traditional um, and even, you know, verging on extreme 
Catholic right. And you can pick those people out a mile away because of how they dress, right? Well, and what's what's interesting to to highlight here is that the whole concept of laïcité, which is um, for those listening and don't don't recall, it's France's sort of version of secularism, is that it was meant to keep the Catholic Church out of the affairs of the state. And so, look at how far we've come and how how we've twisted it or how they've twisted it to be a sort of tool for attacking you know, uh, a a very specific group um, that they are very afraid of. Right. And it, but it was also not meant to, to keep Catholic individuals participating in civic life. And that is how they stay as instrumentalized in the, in the case of Muslim women. Right. Right. I mean, the idea that a hijab wearing mother couldn't go on a field trip. I mean, to me, I, I don't know. I kind of like fixate on, that one debate because it it just strikes at the heart of it so much for me the idea that someone who is trying to participate who is trying i mean it really exposes the hypocrisy um of the debate for me because you know all of this is always couched in we want assimilation we want republicanism and the idea that a mother who is trying to participate in a French institution in her child's school would be turned away at the door because she's wearing a hijab just says everything to me um, about, you know, whether they're really looking for inclusion or exclusion. Right. And, and Aida, what, what are you, I, I think we, we cut you off from, uh, from expanding on, on your thoughts on this. To go back to what Lauren said about Macron's speech, what I thought I mean, the way I I heard the speech when he, I mean, I didn't listen to the whole thing, but from what I read in in the media and and, and things like that, what stuck with me is that he didn't address any of the concerns of these populations, which is police violence, uh, access to equal opportunities in in employment, uh, racism, all of that. It's like he was speaking, he was not speaking to a huge percentage of the population. And the way I interpreted his speech is that the election campaign is going to be very ugly. He's trying to appeal to the right as much as possible. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and and Darmanin, the minister of the interior, went so far as to meet with um, Marine Le Pen for an hour and a half last week. Um, and that is not a coincidence that that meeting was timed to co- coincide with this big rollout, um, the speech. Except the danger in all of this is that, you know, they're they're trying to sort of appeal to the right and make sure that some of those voters don't go to the to the extreme right. But in the end, if there's very little difference between, you know, the current party and further right politics, what would stop people from, you know, voting for a change? and a change that's more radically right. I mean, this is the danger in what they're doing. Um, and certainly for women's rights, it doesn't bode well. Um, I mean, look at, look at, I know we were texting about Marlene Schiappa yesterday, <laughs> yesterday, and we have very different feelings about her role. Uh, she was the former uh, minister for gender equality. Um, and she's basically been put in the closet, right? Which is the French, the French say, uh, placardé. you know, she's, she's sort of been given a uh, a nom, you know, nominal role in the current government under Darmanin, but it almost seems like she's being punished or something. Well, I kind of disagree. I mean, I feel like she's supposed to be the like 
you know, gentle, attractive, palatable face of, um, I mean, she's been, she's been working in pretty close concert with Dharmana on this kind of like neo Sarkozyist, um, you know, I can't remember the exact nomenclature they're using, but it's definitely like a more hardcore assimilationist. I mean, they, what, what is the word that they use? I think it's maybe like a citoyenneté or something like that, but nobody really knows what that is, except, I mean, I interpret it as like cracking down on immigration. Um, but then how do you, how can she go from, you know, at, at least not that long ago being someone who supported a woman's right to choose what she wears. I mean, at least that was what we, we, we thought she was about to then shifting all the way to the right. I mean, these are complicated and, and um, conflicting interests. No, I mean, is this just her? I mean, I, I feel like she wasn't given a choice really. And she's just like, I see what you're saying that she's basically working in concert with, with Darmanin, but I almost see that as like her, like a, like a punishment of sorts because you know this guy is accused of 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 rape he's still under investigation he's problematic for for a lot of feminists um and yet here is this woman who was the minister for gender equality who's now you know forced to work with this guy i don't know i'm 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 on the fence about about you know how how her role is shaping up but but it just makes me wonder you know when you when you're shifting from one kind of discourse about women to now, you know, basically helping inf influence policy that could be detrimental to a certain type of woman. I don't know. Uh, Ida, I know you, you're, you're not a big fan of, uh, <laughs> no, I'm not. I feel like she talks a lot. I haven't, you know, I'm, I'm not sure of how much she actually uh, has done or, you know, uh, which I feel like it's it's uh, something in common to a lot of people in La République en Marche. There's a lot of talking, a lot of media appearances, but I'm not so sure how much it translates in, in practice. Uh, mm. I think, you know, Marlene Chiappa was one of the first people to join Macron when he was still an outsider. No one could have predicted he was going to win this, uh, this election, the last election. Uh, she comes from a pretty privileged background. Uh, I think she, uh, she, she's right now. She's kind of is the like nice face of La République en Marche, and I think that's why she's so much on TV and she's constantly defending a lot of Macron policies. Uh, I don't see her uh, more than that, like more of an influencer or someone who has that much power, more than going on TV and defending Macron which she has a very strong allegiance to and she has from the beginning. Okay, so so we've we've tackled this one big part of of this sort of news story. Um I did want to mention one thing which you know, um, I, I, I was giving a talk last night uh, with Lauren Bastide and Ayan Bernard, two other women from from my book, and we were talking about the the female figures we have in the U.S. who you know, yes, of course, Hillary Clinton and Elizabeth Warren were presented in a way in the media that, you know, talked about their likability, that talked about the, you know, their like pantsuits and everything they wore. And, you know, now we're talking about Kamala and her Converse sneakers and how cool she is, right? So I get that we we, we analyze the women in the media or in the in the political space, but there does seem to be 
a particular brand of nasty criticism for women in the French public eye in the political space based on their clothing. Now, I don't know if both of you remember the former presidential spokeswoman, uh, the Senegalese-born Sibeth uh, Die, I think that's how you pronounce her last name. Uh, there was a whole piece in the New York Times about how uh, what was happening to her when she was still in her role, and she was denigrated for her colorful wardrobe. And Nadine Mahano of the European Parliament, who is just terrible, uh, called her outfit circus clothes. Um, and the same woman, this is the same woman who said that Sibeth didn't deserve her government position given her big gaps over French culture. Um, and this to me always smacked of like mis misogynistic politics that we've seen in the US as well. But this also took on a very um, racial, uh, this had an, a racial element for me as well. Um, you know, basically calling her, you know, because she she had recently been naturalized French and that the color is sort of a symbol of her, her being, you know, anything but um, traditionally French. Obviously, we know that um, Rashida Dati yeah. has been criticized for her, you know, designer duds throughout the years. Yeah. Um, and even Christine Lagarde was told at one point, you know, to leave her jewels at home. Um, so what do you think of that element of controlling women's bodies? And especially when we're talking about, you know, women who could really influence the future and for young girls and set a, set a standard. You know, we don't have anybody like AUC who's who's like... I'm just going to wear what I'm going to wear and it's going to be fine. And this is how it is. So do you think that there is this difference between, you know, the way we criticize uh, French women in the, in the limelight? I mean, I'm so glad you're talking about this because, uh, there is this, uh, French arrogance about being the most feminist place in the world. And where, you know, as Lauren said earlier, like Marianne has like, you know, <laughs> it's like showing Ooh, up her breast and th yeah, 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 exactly. And things like that. But in reality, uh, they've never had a female president. They had one female prime minister for like a few months under Mitterrand and she was treated horribly by the media. Um, it's just, I mean, women in politics are, I mean, it's heinous for them. Uh, the whole Me Too reckoning in the Green Party uh, was very interesting to watch because I attended one of the trials of the Bopa, which is who was accused by several women of sexual harassment. And a lot of women, uh, including Cécile Duflo, who were high profile politicians, were saying that these things have ruined careers. Like, it's so hard to be a female politician in France. Like, the things they hear uh, in the Senate, in the Parliament, the, the comments they hear, the, the sexual harassment, the, the attacks, the demeaning. I mean, it, it's just not an easy place to put it mildly for women. And it didn't flow with from them. any aspect. She, she was slated for showing up um, at her ministry, whichever one it was. What the, Was she the... Minister of Ecology for a while under yes. Hollande, is that uh, it? But she was criticized for showing up in denim, if you remember. So no jeans, no jewels. Come on. Um, but back to the Cibet thing. I mean, that it wasn't only racial; it was just flat out racist. I mean, first of all, Nadine Mohano, as we know, has long record of that. But but the comment was not like Cibet wears, you know, ugly clothes. It was Cibet is from Senegal and wears ugly clothes. Right. <laughs> And the context was that Sibet had dared to say, um, 
I think it was when Francois de, de Rougy resigned his ministry because he'd been caught like hosting parties with lobster and fine wines. Um, <laughs> his girlfriend was posting them on Instagram, which um, wasn't a good look. But anyway, Sibet talking about that said something like, well, you know, most French people don't eat lobster, they eat kebabs. And it was the mention of kebab that set Nadine Morano off on this rant, uh, Twitter rant about Sibet's clothing. So, I mean, yeah, that was like, that was lame and terrible. <laughs> so like, and- what are we, what are we supposed to do? Because, you know, Lauren, you have children uh, who are going to, you know, who are luckily too young to know what's going on yet. Uh, you know, but like, what are, what are parents supposed to do when their kids, you know, whether they're, you know, they're a Muslim family, they're a totally unreligious family, but, you know, they believe that young girls should be able to, you know, express themselves, especially at an age when you're trying to figure out who you are, you know, you're in high school, you're in middle school, like, that's when you experiment. And this is supposed to be a culture that's sort of open to that. So what are we supposed to do? I need you guys to have the solution. (laughs) Please. I didn't tell you that that was a free... I didn't tell you that was the prerequisite <laughs> of this episode is that there had to be a resolution at the end. Uh, honestly, I'm Let hearing more. Plan. Plan. No. Yeah. <laughs> take, it, take it from here, Ida. I'm sure you have a better plan than my, than I do. I, I was just going to troll a little bit. So. Well, <laughs> troll, come on. No, troll. <laughs> no I was going to say, I mean, the thing is, I, I feel like it, like whatever women try to do, they lose in, in, in the current context. I know from Muslim women that I've interviewed and, and followed over the years, a lot of them just want to move. Uh, you mean they want to leave France? France. They, want, they want to leave France. They want to go to Turkey. They want to go to other places that where they just don't have to apologize and justify why they're the way they are and that, no one's forcing them. Their brother is not forcing them. Their dad is not forcing them. And it's just, they're just exhausted from constantly uh, doing this. But I think the media have such a huge part in this. And, mm. and, and the media and the, and the intellectuals, because it's, it's like these, these private clubs of people from the same backgrounds that don't challenge politicians. Because, I mean, I, I follow French politics. I follow... U.S. politics. Let's let's compare them, and the French will love hearing this. <laughs> like when you see, like when you see a press conference, let's say in the U.S., the journalists force politicians to respond to certain things, even if they don't want to. Part of the American tradition of interviewing, you 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 you'll go and you force them to to talk about topics they're not comfortable about, and force them to react to topics that the big fringe of the population cares about, even if it's not what they care about or if it's not what their party cares about. In France, you don't really have that. Like, they can get away with just, you know, getting interviewed on radio and TV by the same kind of people who will allow them to say the same heinous things against, this, you know, the same populations, and it just continues. And, and, and quite frankly, it's becoming really boring because it's like, I feel like it's always the same thing. Something happens, politicians overreact, the media make it a huge deal, and then it kind of goes away and then repeats and it starts again. 
Um, okay. So, so what I'm gathering is that we need more, uh, uh, accountability, uh, and, and change within the media that oh, I, sure. I, totally I think, agree. I think, yeah. Lauren, your oh. closing solutions. <laughs> this is just one sliver of a solution, but I think education is really important too. I mean, I know that in France, for instance, the Haitian revolution is barely taught, um, you know, Toussaint Louverture, led, inspired by French principles of the rights of man, led the only um, or the first successful slave revolt that led to the establishment of the sovereign nation of Haiti. I mean, it was a huge event um, in world history. It, it remains one. Um, and that's just one example of, of um, you know, a part of the French past that um, is hardly taught or discussed um, and that could be easily, you know, incorporated into this proud tradition of, um, you know, of human rights um, in France. But yeah, I think um, this is not an original idea, but for me, a large piece of it lies um, in a reckoning with France's colonial past that certainly hasn't happened, even if um, a lot of people are doing work to, you know, to, to push for that recognition. But um, yeah, I really, I really think that. And, and by extension, I think you're absolutely right. I think you're absolutely right. I was just talking to a friend the other day and her son was doing homework and he's like, Oh, I'm studying slavery in the US. I'm like, they're not teaching you slavery in France. <laughs> of course not. And, and, and I just thought that was like incredible. Education is clearly like the a must in moving forward and and certainly in 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 changing the narrative also in terms of how we think about women's bodies and how they can express themselves and and I would say putting more responsibility on on boys to also, you know, think about their behaviors. But anyway, ladies, thank you so much for joining. I think we're going to have to figure out what other topic we follow with next month. And I do hope you'll come back for, for a follow-up, but I think this has been a good kickoff for what I hope to be very interesting conversations. That's the show for today. You can find all previous episodes of the new Paris podcast on Apple podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you stream your shows until next time. I bientôt.